who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to uh, be here this evening in this beautiful church. Um, We're hosting Christmas this year uh, for the first time, actually, since we've moved to Bath, which is very exciting. Um, We're having family to stay, and that means we're cooking the Christmas lunch. So um, if I may, just to kind of break the mood for a moment, would you mind turning to the person near you and sharing with them what component of the traditional Christmas meal is your favorite? Off you go. Okay, I've got a limited time frame this evening, so um, we won't spend too long on this opener item, but uh, just out of interest, um, who's who's for the turkey? For those of you that like the turkey, okay, a few, yeah. Um, The roast potatoes, is that high on anyone's list? Yeah, quite a few. The Brussels sprout, okay, watch out for those folk. My favourite is aligned with the nation's favourite. Hands up if your favourite is the pig in the blanket. Yes, the pigs in blankets apparently are the nation's favourite. And uh, there's been a huge amount of effort gone into the pig in the blanket um, by, by many supermarket chains this year to get us to buy even more varieties of the pig in the blanket. Um, now, I don't know if there was a pig in the nativity scene. We're told there was... A blanket of some sort. See, what that's the connection there, Joe. Do you like that? Get me back on track. Um, what I know about the nativity, though, is it's a story with a really rich um, history. Many, many artists and storytellers throughout history have sought to reimagine and retell this story of the birth of Jesus, and often kind of twisting it a little bit to suit their particular context. Um, and I think much of that reimagining and retelling has influenced the way we now think about the Christmas story, actually. Um, so when we think about the nativity, we think about shepherds and kings and stars and stables and presents and donkeys, and they're all the things that come to our minds. And, and that's all lovely and good. Um, I'm not here to kind of diss the nativity scene this evening, but sometimes... The product of all this representation and reimagination is that the nativity story can become more like folklore than scripture. Um, it's something, it's a story that we, we tell ourselves or tell one another at Christmas time, and we perhaps occasionally miss some of the light and shade 
of the original stories. So, just a few things, just in case you don't know. The Nativity story doesn't actually feature in two out of the four Gospels. Okay, so there's four stories about Jesus' life, and only two of the four have actually got anything, really, about the nature of his birth. So that's interesting already. Um, And if you look at the two stories of Jesus' birth, one in Matthew and one in Luke, they're really quite different. I don't know when the last time was you just read them together, but can I encourage you to do that? Because they're really, really different. They're really different. And sometimes when we attend carol services like these, and this is kind of my fourth in the last fortnight that I've done, uh, being working in a school, um, the way that we do the stories, the, the kind of lessons and carols, it kind of stitches together like it's one narrative. But it's not, actually. It's not just one cohesive narrative. It's two stories which have really quite different perspectives. And I'd like to think this evening a little bit about these two perspectives as one being in the major key, and one being in the minor key. One in the major, and one in the minor. Now Luke's version is in the major. It's in the major key. Okay, so it goes back to before the birth of Jesus, and his nativity scene has shepherds, but no wise men. I don't know if you know that. Shepherds in Luke, but no wise men. There are angels, but there's no star. Interesting. Um, We've got... Herod doesn't even feature, isn't even mentioned in the Luke version. No Herod. And there's no direct references to animals or stables, but there is a manger referenced in Luke. And Luke's version of the story, I think, is really hopeful. It's in the major key. It's got angels and it's got songs and it's got prophetic words and it's got so many brilliant things. There's a really, really strong sense of hope, I think, in Luke. And then towards the end of the nativity narrative, you get this character Simeon, who I think sums it up so well. When he's presented with the baby Jesus later on in the temple, he says this, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Amazing. Major key, right? Sorry for those of you that aren't musical. I hope you know what I mean by major key. Val, you know what I mean. Major key, right? What have we got in that bit? We've got light. We've got sight. We've got hope. We've got joy. We've got a saviour for all. It's in the major key. It's a beautiful story, the Luke version of events. Read it through. It'll make you feel all warm and cosy. There's so much about it that is wonderful. Now, Matthew's version... I'd like to suggest to you this evening, is really quite different. I think it's in the minor key. It's in the minor key. And it's therefore not surprising that there are quite a few elements of the Matthew story that don't make it into lessons and carols. There are some tricky bits in Matthew, some minor tonalities, which sometimes don't make it into the popular stories. So what kind of things am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about First of all, Herod. Herod is pretty much the main character or one of the main characters of the Matthew narrative. But you never see him in a nativity, do you? You never see him kind of lurking in the background of a nativity. It doesn't make it. What else have we got? Well, we had a reading earlier. Matthew's narrative begins with things like public disgrace and divorce. Not very Christmassy. Not very Christmassy, but it's there. The angels tell Joseph, don't be afraid. 
There are no shepherds in Matthew's story. In fact, there's no description of the birth at all. It just says, Mary had a boy. Done. Quite different. It's in the minor key. But I'd like to suggest this evening that there's a deep contemporary reference, um, relevance, sorry, in the minor key of this narrative. It's a story that's rooted in turmoil. If you read Matthew again, what is there there? There's great civil unrest. There's a census. There's a cost of living crisis as Caesar seeks to raise taxes. There is a despotic leader intent on hanging on to power at all costs. Sound familiar? There are secret political meetings and machinations behind the scenes. Joseph, Mary and Jesus are made urgent refugees fleeing for their lives. There is a genocide. And the story ends with the family of Jesus settling in Judea as refugees away from their tribe. It's a story in the minor key. Matthew's account is no fairy tale. It's a real story with real darkness. And so as we as a community navigate together this so-called winter of discontent with our own crises, I cannot think of a more important time actually to reflect on the darkness in the nativity story, to reflect on the minor. For it's only in facing the reality of the darkness that we can appreciate our desperate need for the light. And I had no idea what was going to be said earlier about avoiding the tough bits. It couldn't be more apt. As the famous line of Isaiah goes, those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. A deep and painful awareness of the darkness is necessary to see just how bright the light is. And so let's not worry too much this evening about the component parts of the nativity story. Let's not argue about whether they were kings or wise men and how many. And was it a stable or was it a cave or was it just in a house? Probably a house. Um, were there animals there or not? Did the star, star stop above the place of birth? What kind of wrapping paper was the frankincense covered with? Let's not worry too much about these details this evening because the truth of the nativity story is this, is that we're all in need of real hope. We're all in need of real hope. Not a vague optimism that things are going to be okay and somehow work out for the best or that somehow next year will be better than this year. Real hope is not about a gradual lifting of the darkness. It isn't a denial that the darkness doesn't exist at all or that it cannot harm us. Real hope is a person. Hope has a name. Emmanuel, God with us. Yeshua, the one who saves. But it's more than just a person. Hope is God made flesh. Hope is God stepping down into the darkness in order to create a source of light for all people, just like he did at the very beginning through creation. Hope is God coming to earth to reboot his creation story, choosing to save his people rather than starting afresh. Real hope is not to do with stars and mangers, but flesh and blood, a child who would become a man and who would find a way to resolve the problem at the center of the human heart, the major and the minor combined.
Real hope has a name, an identity, a person in history who lived and breathed and walked the earth and who died and then rose again. I think all of this is why my personal favourite nativity narrative is actually the one at the beginning of the Gospel of John, which we heard a little bit of earlier. John does not concern himself with mangers and stars and shepherds, but he cuts right to the heart of the matter, and he says this, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him is life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, the major and the minor. And the darkness has not overcome it.